0: Hey, you're listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast, in week three of our sermon series, Unto Us, Matt Dean preaches for Matthew 1 on God's faithfulness at all time to all generations seen ultimately in our Savior Jesus. It's great to be here uh, together this morning. And um, there's an odd thing in the life of a pastor, and that is whenever I go to another church, It's hard for me just to go to another church, if that makes sense. It's an occupational hazard. Whenever I go to another church, I'm always learning, evaluating, observing, going, huh, they do that well. We could do that differently. We could do that better. And and last week, I wasn't here. Last week, I was in London at a church called All Souls London. And the pastor that was there, a few pastors before, was an outstanding theologian. And what I've learned from this guy is his faithfulness in one place changed the world. And as I walked into this church that is located right next to the BBC headquarters, I walked in and here are some observations that I made. Um, I stood on the street, looked at this church, and I saw people that looked a lot like you and me walking in. There was diversity. There was young and old. There were families. There were singles. There were people with skin that looked like mine. There were people with skin that looked quite differently from mine. And as I walked into the door... I was warmly welcomed. Hi, welcome to All Souls. We're so glad that you're here. Is this your son? Would he like to go to our children's ministry this morning? And we walk in and sat next to a German and English couple, and they were so personable, so warm, so inviting, getting into our world. And then um, there was the welcome to the church, and the welcome was done in four different languages, actually. And I was like, huh. I need to to brush up on my language skills here for a moment, and uh, I need to learn Persian, apparently. And uh, as, as I was walking into the service, I kept thinking about you, actually. And I kept thinking about this church that God's placed us in and how grateful I am to be here, but also how encouraged I was to be there. And some of my favorite things about here are happening there. Like, check this out. A lady got up, a Chinese lady got up, And she led the congregation in a moment of prayer. And she prayed for the gospel in that place. And she prayed for the gospel among the poor and among the marginalized. Then she got up and said, Could we pray now for the persecuted church in Iran? And we prayed together for the persecuted church. Feel familiar? And there in that moment, I was like, this is beautiful. I'm looking around. I'm seeing people from Asia, people from Africa, all kind of Europeans all around us. And I'm thinking, this feels like home. This feels like home because this it's what we do. And I didn't know that going into it. I just was like, how sweet of a gift. And here's another thing. my wife's, One of my wife's favorite contemporary songwriters and hymn writers was leading worship that morning. And I thought, well, what are the odds of that? And then... One of the passages of Scripture that I've committed to memory and I've tried to live from was the Scripture of the day. And here's what it was: Therefore, my brothers, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to your labor in the Lord because your labor in him is never in vain. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Therefore, be immovable, my brothers. Let nothing move you. And I'm sitting there in this very surreal moment with one of my sons right beside me. And I'm thinking, God, your church is beautiful. That people from all over the world, literally in this building, are proclaiming there's one name higher, there's one name greater, his name is Jesus, and because of him, we have all things in common. It was a beautiful, beautiful experience. And as I was thinking about that church, it made my heart for this church grow stronger all the more. I love being here. I love this group of people that we get to call family and friends. And as I've been thinking about this series, Unto Us, as I've been thinking about how do we as Jesus' followers navigate the very real um, thing called Christmas, how do we do that in a way that's actually joyful? Because sometimes the holidays are quite difficult, actually. There's this pressure that we all feel for it to be better than it is and for it to be more enjoyable than it might actually be. And then we get into the extended family dynamic, and then we get into just the real-life hardship dynamic, and then we get into... The the pressure to deliver financially the perfect Christmas for our children, our grandchildren, our friends, and all of these weights just get put upon our shoulders. And somehow it's easy, is it not, to miss Jesus in the whole thing, you know? And instead of focusing hearts and minds on what really matters most, you might find yourself like me looking on Amazon going, what else do we need to get for this child or this place or this person? And, And it's just we're distracted. And I just thought it'd be great this morning for us to sit under a lot of God's word, for us to hear a slow, steady drip of God's faithfulness so that when we leave here today, our hearts would be full of the right things, of the good thing, of the best things, Jesus. And as I was preparing for this morning, um, I was reading through the genealogy of Jesus, which we will get to. It's in Matthew chapter 1. But as I was observing the 42 generations that were mentioned, just in my own time of study and my own reflection upon this, I was like, where else is 42 in the Bible, you know, and I was just thinking 42 generations, and, and out of the fullness of that moment, I thought, um, what does Isaiah 42 say? Now, I know that you think I have all the Bible memorized, and I do. I just don't remember it all, and so I had to go back and read Isaiah 42, and I was astounded as I was thinking about the 42 generations In Matthew 1, I was also astounded at what Isaiah 42 said. And then I thought, well, I know at one point I'd memorized Psalm 42, but what does Psalm 42 say again? And I just thought it'd be helpful for us to read a little bit of the context that led up to Matthew 1. And here's the way I want us to think about it this morning the pain of humanity, okay? The promise of a Savior, and the proclamation of our Savior King, okay? So I want us to talk through the pain of humanity the promise of a savior, and the proclamation, he is king. And I want us to get to the pain of humanity by just identifying this common thread that all of us experience at some point, and it was written by the people that wrote Psalm 42. Here's what it says. As a deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you, thirsts for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, and my tears say to me all day long, where is your God? My tears are saying, where is your God? Verse four, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How would I go with the crowd and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival? Here's the humanity part of it. Verse five, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Anybody relate? And here's the the response to the downcast soul. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And in the context of a downcast soul feeling turmoil, there is a decision, a, a choice of the will to say, Hope in God, O soul of mine that is downcast and in turmoil. Hope in God, for I shall again, I will again praise you, my salvation and my God. And I just want to put that across the table for you this morning. If you came in the room downcast and in turmoil, welcome to the club. And here's your moment of response and faithful obedience. Ready? Yet I will rejoice in you, my God. You are my salvation. You are my God. This is going on. Nothing's changed, yet... I will respond, yet I will choose to praise you. Even now in this moment, in this service, you can choose to listen or not. You can choose to engage or not. You can choose to believe God or not. And I'm just saying to the downcast and turmoiled souls in the room, choose. Just make the choice now going, I will hope in God, for yet again, I will praise him. He is my salvation and he is my God. Isaiah 42. Pretty amazing. This is the Lord speaking of his chosen servant. And this is what he says. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says the Lord God who created the heavens and stretched them out. That's amazing, by the way. God who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. And these are the words of the Lord. I am the Lord. the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. Can I just remind you of the gospel this morning? If you read Ephesians chapter one and you see all that is true of us in Christ that we still don't yet experience like adoption, like freedom from sin, like the, the reality that we have been truly accepted by grace through faith. Like if you think through those things, there are things in all of our lives that have yet to spring forth, but nevertheless, they are true. Things that are broken that will be healed. Things that are sad that will be redeemed. Things that are heartbreaking that he will make new. That is true for us. It's true for me and it's true for you. There is life on earth that is yet to experience the fullness and the providence and the care of God. It's in your life and it's in mine. Yet, is it still true? It's still true, and we live in the already but not yet, and I just want to give courage to you today that there are things God has spoken through his word and through the life of Jesus that we have yet to experience, and it's still true. It's still absolutely true. If you have some time, I encourage you to read through the rest of Isaiah 42, but I will end the part of Isaiah with Isaiah 44 this morning, and then we'll get to the genealogy of Jesus. Isaiah 44, verse 6, and this is the Lord speaking again. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, and he, there are his words, I am the first, and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, do, do not be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. There is no God like our God. And while there are lots of other beliefs in the world, there is no God like our God. And that I am 100% confident in. When we were on the streets of Queens Park in northwest London, we were passing out those flyers like I was talking about earlier, and we would go door to door, we would open the mail slot, we would slide it in, and it would fall into their front doorstep, and that's where it would be. Well, that, that we were five miles in, <laughs> you know, and it, it had been a long day, and we were going up the stairs and then down the stairs, and some were flats and some were whole three-story apartments, but feet were hurting, ankles were hurting, we were tired, and we were walking around, we were almost done with our route that day. And there was a lady that came up and said, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, It doesn't really matter what is different about us. We're all the same. So I'm so glad you're here. And this woman was from northern Africa. And by her dress, it would be safe for me to assume she was from an Islamic culture. And she said, I'm so so glad that you're here. And she began to have dialogue with one of the women that were helping uh, pass out these cards and flyers. And and they proceeded to have this conversation, and this lady, this Londoner, was, was really glad that we were out in the neighborhood doing good among the people. And uh, the woman on our team just was gracious and was listening to her, and I, I pulled aside a few of the other guys, and we just began to pray for this lady, because her mindset was that it's all the same, that it's one mountain with many trails to the top, and, and I just, I want you to hear today, it's not. It's not the same. And regardless what people in our culture or other cultures say, it's not the same. And Jesus did not come to say it's all the same. And he did not offer his life just for a new set of information that we can wrap our minds around. At the heart of Christianity, it's fundamentally different because it's not just behavior change. It's not just a new set of morality. There is no God like our God who laid down his life to redeem people back to him, There is a vast difference. And for you, as you navigate your own life and your own culture, I want you to know it's not the same. And you can graciously, lovingly, with confidence say it's not the same because he's not the same. And what he did was unlike any other. And all this talk that leads to our Savior King shows us he is completely different. At the heart of Christianity, it is what God has done that is unrivaled and unequal. And Jesus did not come to give new advice. He did not come just to go, here's some great things to think about. No, he came to offer his life. And in offering his life, he was one of the most prolific teachers on earth. But it wasn't just his teachings. It's what he did. It's what he did not do. It's what he said and did not say. It's how he loved and did not tolerate other things he offered his life, and he is not the same. And as this lady was having dialogue, we just began to pray that she would see that her eyes would be open to see that even from her cultural perspective, that no amount of good works and good things would ever grant her access to a God who is holy, holy, holy. No, access to holy, holy God is given by one way, and it's a bloody cross And it's an empty grave and it's Jesus and his name alone. So as you gather around tables this Christmas and as you navigate all things Walmart and Target and wherever else you're going to be, I want you to have the humble confidence of a Jesus follower to say there is no God like my God. There is no grace or mercy like the grace and mercy that has been shown to me. And when you drown out all the noise, Jesus is spectacular and beautiful and unrivaled. And there's a lot of noise, but this morning I hope we can drown some of that out. The gospel is not just good advice, it is good news. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 1 in advance Some of you are going to love this, and others of you are going to get overwhelmed and cross-eyed, and that's really fine altogether, all right? So we're going to read through the genealogy because it's fascinating, and you're like, I don't think it's fascinating, and that's okay. You don't have to think it's fascinating. We're just going to read it through to honor God's word, and then I'll draw some conclusions for you. This is Matthew 1, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why do you think he starts son of David? son of Abraham. There were two covenants made to David and to Abraham that the nations would be blessed through those people. And here we see Jesus is thus blessing the nations through these people. So let's read through. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron. And Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. That's fun, that's a fun name. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh, the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers- at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel and Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah, the Christ. Verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, the Messiah, 14 generations. Now, numbers matter in Scripture. History matters in scripture. And here's the fascinating thing that you can walk away from this passage and go, this is true. God is faithful in all time to every generation, and we see that forever and fully in Jesus. Let me say that again. God is faithful in all time to every generation, and we can see that forever in Jesus. If you know the history here, there are some troubled times in that genealogy, there are some troubled characters in that genealogy, and given the broad age range in this room, there are some stories in this genealogy that are not age appropriate for all parties present in the room. There are 15 kingdoms represented, but only one of them is named king. It was David. But there are 15 kings in the story. There are five women mentioned in the story, but of those women that are mentioned, there are some troubled souls in that story. There's some sadness and some sorrow and some sin. There's some destruction. There is disobedience. There is There are outsiders. There are people of moral failure in the genealogy of Jesus. Why does that matter? Here's why it matters, because God is faithful to all time and to every generation, and we see that fully in Jesus. There are kingdoms moving around. There was oppression and evil happening In the story of this history line, and yet, even in the midst of oppression and evil happening around the world on a global scale, here's why this matters, because God is faithful in all time to every generation, and we see that fully in Jesus. Listen, nothing can thwart the will of God, and his purpose is to exalt his one and only son, that all nations, tongues, and tribes would say, he is the one. And so despite a troubled genealogy and despite very terrible things happening in this line of history, Matthew wrote this to a primarily Jewish audience with a Jewish audience in mind because they would know the story and they would know the history and they would know the stories that probably are best mentioned in back alleys and they would know the stories that were troublesome and they would see upon reading this, this is what matters, that God is faithful in all times, to every generation, and we see that fully in Jesus. It's an interesting observation here as you look through this genealogy, and, and really the only way to know the stories are to go back name by name, and some of the names are quite troubling, actually, and some of the stories are heartbreaking, and yet God is faithful to achieve his purposes, and this is the fascinating thing about it. Jesus's lineage was filled with moral outsiders, and he was filled with ethnic outsiders. And his history was filled with gender outsiders. And genealogy at the time when this was written would not have included women. And ironically, the women that were included were not all of noble character. And they were not all of Israel. They were Canaanites and Moabites. There were outsiders being brought in. There were women of the night, if you will. Brought into the story. And what I'm trying to say to you is this quite simply God is faithful in all times to every generation. And we see that fully and forever in Jesus. And when you think that through and think through that his lineage included moral outsiders and people that made great mistakes, including a guy that was described as a man after God's own heart, that somehow that man after God's own heart ended up bringing a different lineage into the lineage of Jesus. You know, as you think through how God sovereignly worked the details of history to achieve his perfect word and prophecies being fulfilled, it's astounding. But here's the application point for you and for me. Are we not all at some point moral outsiders? And are we not at some point ethnic outsiders? And are we not at some point faced with the reality that there is something broken within manhood and womanhood? (laughs) That there is much to be redeemed for men and women? That there is much ground to be gained when we honor gender? And when we honor God's design for men and for women, there is a lot of ground to be taken of saying this is God's word. And this is his design And so for all of us today, we were the moral outsider. And we don't fully reflect God's design for beautiful manhood and womanhood being fully expressed. And we are ethnic outsiders. You get that, right? I mean, we've been grafted in to the family of God. We are on the outside, all of us. And this is a a moment in history where skin color does not matter. One of my favorite things about London was that there was no racial tension, actually. It was a beautiful thing to be around people from all different backgrounds, and everyone was an outsider, and therefore everyone was nice because we were all, how long have you been here? How long have you been here? That was a takeaway, I think, for me, is going, we're all on the outside looking in. And uh, the brief history of America for those Americans— Our history is a drop in the bucket of world history, and we're not quite as significant as we think we are. You know, there is a global story that God is writing, and this is our here and now moment. And so as we think about this, I just want us to remember that we were the outsider, and yet he's included us into his family. We all sit on the outside looking in going, there's no way, and he was the one that made the way. Our faith Christmas rests in the events of history, right? Not just some theory on religion, like we are betting our lives, staking our lives on a birth in the middle of nowhere and a cross outside of the gate and an empty tomb that is still empty. And we bank our lives on the facts of history of what Jesus has done, not just what he said. So for you this morning, as you think through my approach to Christmas this morning, as you think through how you're going to approach that Christmas Eve moment, just remember you were the moral outsider. You were the ethnic outsider. And there's much ground to be gained in biblical manhood and womanhood. And history and human failure does not stop the will of God. He works in it and he works through it. And even now, can I give you A word of encouragement for where we find ourselves in this nation and in world news events. God is sovereign on the throne. And however troubling the headlines may be, I assure you, there is a throne in heaven. And there are 100 million angels going. Well done. (laughs) There is no God like our God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Let's pray. We're so glad you listened to the Grace Auburn Church podcast. There's so much happening in the life of our church, and we could not be more excited about all that God is doing. For more information about ways that you can connect within the life of our church, go to our website, www.graceauburn.church.